Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, a big episode for you today after a two-week break. Uh, I think it's important to, to rest and recuperate and take some time off every now and then. Uh, not that I've been doing any of that. Uh, house moves can occupy an awful lot of your time, uh, let it be said. Uh, but it's not exactly been plain sailing for, for Lee Scott, who I'm delighted to say joins me on this episode once more. Um, Lee, we must be approaching double figures now for, for Scouted Pod appearances. I, I, I was speaking to somebody at, at a match uh, just last week, actually, and they were saying how much they enjoyed the episodes which you're on. Uh, didn't say anything about my hosting abilities, though, but um, you know we'll let that slide. Um, anyway, though, we've, we've, we've got you back, and after a little bit of a technical hiccup, we're back in business uh, with definitely some interesting topics lined up today, uh, and especially over the next few weeks as well. Um, but how, how are things at your end? Yeah, all good, thanks, Joe. Um, um, I'm sure people will have seen my tweet that I put up the other day. I'm currently in the, the process of recovering from COVID. Um, swept through my whole household, so kids and my wife as well are my wife is a couple of days behind us, so she's still a little bit unwell, but the rest of us are feeling better. Um, obviously, not a nice thing to have to go through, but we had it way, way, way better than many, many people have, despite feeling unwell for a couple of days. We're making a full recovery with no issues, so I uh, certainly can't complain on that front. Yeah, well, thank you very much for, for, for coming on. I know it's obviously a, a bit of a madhouse at the moment, but um, yeah, we're going to get down to business and discuss um, some players uh, that, that have maybe unexpectedly started uh, for the for clubs this season and come to the fore. But before we do that, um, we th- there's a lot for us to discuss the current events. I mean, since we last recorded, we've had the in- international break, uh, public health officials storming pitches. Um <laughs> Xavi Manquillo sprinting the length of the pitch to score his first Newcastle goal in what was otherwise a pretty uneventful game at Old Trafford. Um, Jorge Sampaoli literally trying to fight everyone at the Allianz Riviera Stadium when Nice versus Marseille literally kicked off. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get on to, to, to the topics uh, that we're going to discuss today. Uh, and it's five players we've picked out, two from me, three from you, um, who, yeah, unexpectedly have, have, have started the season for their clubs. Um and in Europe, the, the 2021-22 campaign is only about a month old uh, across most leagues, uh, Scandinavia excluded. But across the world, uh, across other confederations, uh, which, Lee, you've kindly ensured we cover uh, with your flexing your world knowledge there, uh, seasons have been in full swing for, for quite some time. Um, for that reason, I think, uh, you know, the, the fact that they're, they're unexpected players, uh, the oldest player we're discussing today is 20, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and as, as I look down the prep sheet, uh, we have a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, and finally a 20-year-old, which uh, we definitely didn't plan, but we're going <laughs> to pretend that we did. Um, Lee, let's get underway with uh, your first pick, and it's one which is incredibly close to home. Very close to home, and it's Calvin Ramsey, um, the right-back for my club, the club that I support, Aberdeen. And who has just last week made his debut for the Scottish under twenty ones? Um, despite only being eighteen years of age, he made his debut in the match away to Turkey, and certainly did not look out of place at that level. He handled the the, the match very comfortably and and showed his quality. Um, Ramsey actually made his breakthrough into the Aberdeen first team last season. He, he had some minutes under the previous coach Derek McInnes. And straight away, you could see that he had something a little bit extra. This one was when he was still 17. Um, physically, he handled it comfortably. He's perhaps not got top, top level speed, but he's more than quick enough for the position. But it's his understanding of the game and his technique and his tactical 
ability, if you like, that really, really stand out when you watch him play, when you see him in match. Despite still being a teenager, um, he actually can't drive. He still takes the bus <laughs> to training and to the training ground before matches. Uh, I'm not sure why some of his teammates haven't picked him up, but there you go. It might be <laughs> one of those things. Um, but when you see him on the pitch, he is so vocal. He is no shy retiring player. He's he's quite capable of giving a centre-back a bollocking, despite the centre-back being a good 10, 12 years older than him. There was a match earlier this season where he actually had an argument with Scott Brown on the pitch. Scott Brown obviously newly moved to Aberdeen this season following a long and successful career with Celtic, one of the most decorated midfielders in the Scottish game, one of the most experienced players in the Aberdeen squad. And, and here was Calvin Ramsey not being shy and telling him that he was out of position or he'd made a mistake and, and to tighten up a little bit. But beyond that, what's really interesting with Ramsey is that despite the fact he plays as a right-back, he's incredibly comfortable on the ball and he's become one of the key players for Aberdeen in terms of their ability to progress the ball forward. It's no surprise, really, because with the youth teams, he actually played as a central midfielder. Um, he wasn't a right-back until, I think, maybe 12, 18 months ago when he was converted to that position fully, and obviously he saw a pathway to the first team from that position, so he was quite happy to do so. But with the ball at his feet, he has a range of different passes. He can play diagonals. He can fire the ball between lines and get the ball to the feet of the strikers. He's comfortable going around the outside of defenders. He can cross on the run. He's also perfected that Trent Alexander-Arnold cross when he takes up a slightly deeper position to support the ball when the ball's played back to him. He's got the ability to whip it in towards the back of the far post from the angle, if you like, outside the penalty area. He's got that that first-time ability to put the ball in dangerous areas. But Perhaps most interestingly for a player who's so young, and I think when you're scouting and when you're watching players who are young and, and making their first steps into the first team with their respective clubs, it can be interesting to see how much responsibility they're sometimes given. Ramsey, for example, is on all set pieces for Aberdeen. He takes corners with whip, with power, he puts pace on the ball. But he also takes free kicks. So if they get a free kick deep in the left-hand side in the opposition half, Ramsey will come across and take responsibility for it. And what I really found noteworthy was that when he played for the Scottish under-21s last week, he was on set pieces immediately for the Scottish under-21s. Now, this is a player coming into the group for the first time. He hadn't been in the squad before. He was initially in, I think, the under-19s. But because of injuries, he was called up into the under-21 squad straight away and started the match. And despite only being in his first camp, he was straight away on corners, free kicks, everything. He just controlled everything from that position. It's rare to find a young player who takes so much responsibility and is willing to put himself forward like that in the pitch. I think that's a really good sign for a player who's so young. Obviously, Aberdeen are in something of a transition at the moment under a new coach, Stephen Glass. Um, former Aberdeen player who's come in and he's completely changed the style of play of the team. Under Derek McInnes, the, the game plan was very much to get the ball forward quickly where they had physical strikers who looked to win the ball and cause chaos around that area. But now they're being more patient with the ball. They're looking for opportunities to play through the thirds. And Calvin Ramsey on the right has really become a key factor in that. Now, he has got a, a long-term contract at Aberdeen and I know that there will be interest from other clubs. I've I've myself recommended him to a club in England already 
to make sure that they're watching him and aware of him because of his ability. And that they certainly won't be the only ones. Any club, though, that are looking to get Calvin Ramsey out of Aberdeen, because obviously with the Brexit regulations and the impact they have on transfers, it's it's become more important that clubs, big clubs in England, are able to identify young British talent early. So I wouldn't be surprised that there, there's a great deal of interest in Ramsey, but Aberdeen have already shown this summer that they're not willing to be lowballed. They turned down transfer offers for Lewis Ferguson from Watford and from for Ryan Hedges from Blackburn. So they're not willing to, to sell their best players cheap in the way that they might have previously. So I think that any club who do want to get Calvin Ramsey out of Aberdeen are going to have to come with their checkbook. Yeah, you mentioned Stephen Glass, obviously a bit of a Newcastle legend as well for, <laughs> for a brief period over the, 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 the millennium, I think it was. But yeah, um, yeah Callum, Calvin Ramsey, I nearly called him Callum then. Uh, Calvin Ramsey, um, you know, the, the thing that stuck out to me straight away was I was looking at sort of his, um, before I'd even watched any of him, um, because apologies, Lee, I, I actually hadn't watched much of Aberdeen in pre-season <laughs> and, and at the beginning of the campaign. Um, I, I went and had a look at sort of the, the, well, first of all, his statistics and straight away his assists stick out because it was, I think it was six or seven games and he'd had four or five assists. And obviously for for a defender, that's quite, a, you know, they're, they're quite standout. Um, so I was looking at those and, and, and I went through and I saw that he had three assists from corners. Uh, and one from across. So immediately, I have, as you said, I've got Trent Alexander-Arnold alarms <laughs> ringing in my head. Um, but it was the three from corners, which immediately made me think, okay, right, well, I need to go and have a look at these. Um, especially considering he's still got less than 20 appearances for Aberdeen, I believe. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, is this to do with you know his natural crossing ability? Is it to do with his technique just being superior to everybody else's? Uh, is it to, to do with him perhaps seeking out a lamppost in the middle time and time again who can just leap and, and pl- plant his forehead on it? Um, is it something to do with the formation which allows Aberdeen to, to press forward and, and really you know position their fullbacks aggressively? Um, I, I was wondering what that what it was. I mean, I, I mean, I'll leave I'll leave the answer to you, but. It was, you know, the fact that for me, the the fact that he uh, was taking set pieces and, and was sort of on dead ball duty in, in that under 21 fixture for Scotland against Turkey, uh, that kind of gave me a, a reasonable indication as to as to why that, that Ramsey has been so potent from from a sort of a creative standpoint from dead balls so early. Yeah, he's been excellent. And I think we need to acknowledge that part of that is down to Alan Russell, um, Stephen Glass's assistant, who was the set-piece coach for England for a long period of time and was doing ah, yes. very successfully. Uh, unfortunately, pre- prior to the European Championships, he was actually embroiled in a, an allegation of, I think it was drink driving, um, pled guilty and, and he was in court for that. So he had to stand down from his post with England. But we, from watching Aberdeen, you can immediately see his impact in terms of the set-pieces at the club. So when you have the combination of a set-piece coach who's creative and who understands how to lay out set-piece routines so that you have blocking runs, you have delay runs, you have players coming from different angles and different depths, you then combine that with a player in Calvin Ramsey who does have excellent technique when striking the ball. And sometimes it comes down to that. A lot of people think that you hear it all the time and it normally revolves around things like penalties when people say a professional footballer should always score a penalty. That's absolutely fine in isolation. 
but players have different levels of technique when striking the ball. That's why there are some progressive clubs now who have coaches in the, the academy programmes who specifically deal with teaching players how to strike the ball properly because not every player is equal when it comes to their technique when they strike a, a dead ball. Ramsey certainly has that ability. He's got very clean delivery and he, he can find the runs of players. And I think it's also noteworthy that at the start of the season, yeah, his assists stand out, but he's been man of the match, I think, on three occasions for Aberdeen mm. this season. And for an 18-year-old, that really stands out too. Now, I didn't expect Ramsey to be starting this season when Aberdeen signed Declan Gallagher, the Scotland international central defender. I thought that we were going to see Ross McCrory moved out from centre midfield out to right back because he's so versatile and Ramsey would be the backup option. But because Gallagher was involved with Scotland at the, the Euros, his he was delayed getting back to first-team football before they started the European campaign. And that meant that McCrory actually started at centre-half. Now, McCrory looked very good at centre-half and still does, but that opened up the spot for Ramsey, and Ramsey has been so good that I think he's at the point where Stephen Glass feels like he can't make that change because you're taking so much creativity away from this Aberdeen team if you do. Yeah, uh, as soon as you said Alan Russell there, it kind of it, it, it reminded me that um, Alexander Mitrovic was worked with him when he, when Russell was doing his superior striker stuff yep. uh, back in around 2016. I remember he worked with Saido Berahino as well, um, right. and it's I mean it's it's interesting to see him pop up again because I knew he was with England, but uh, obviously uh, now with Aberdeen working on set pieces and stuff. Um, what is it with Scotland and fullbacks? You know, Robertson, <laughs> Tierney, Nathan Patterson, Aaron Hickey. Uh, Josh Doig, Calvin Ramsey. Yeah, you can. I mean, there's all this debate about England and how many right backs they've got. Sorry, Scotlanders, <laughs> is there's something going on there? But um, yeah, I think I, I can understand why Glass has not taken Ramsey out of the team because you know even just from watching sort of you know going on Y Scout or Insta and, and and having a look at you know all players' actions, not actually watching the game flow, you can actually see how heavily involved he is already. Yeah. Um, and I think the the thing that I didn't you know I I haven't seen because I haven't been watching so intently uh, was the stuff with Scott Brown. Obviously, him telling players much to his senior um to to so you know get back into shape i love that absolutely love that you know there's not there's no sort of uh timid um what's the word you know he's not he's not being timid um he's not he's not coming to that that position of thought well, well maybe i don't belong here i'm going to be you know a bit a bit reserved no he's he's given it he's given it the full whack and obviously that's it's paid dividends massively so i think it'll definitely be one to to follow throughout this season Moving on to, to the next player then, and, and we've gone from a defender, we've gone from a right back to a goalkeeper. And we don't ordinarily discuss goalkeepers on the Scouted Football podcast because I think for me, it's kind of a bit of a blind spot. To, to analyse a goalkeeper properly properly and adequately, I think you kind of have to already have a, a very, very good uh, understanding of uh, of the position, which admittedly I don't uh, and I'm not going to proclaim to. Um but um, the player that I'd like to, to discuss, who is a goalkeeper, he's 20 years old, plays for Valencia, uh, is Georgi Mamadashvili, um, who is a six foot four, six foot five, left footed goalkeeper on loan at Valencia from Dynamo Tbilisi in Georgia, which immediately is one of the the more rogue transfers I think that that has been uh, this this summer. 
um, because he only joined on loan this summer, of course. Um, but he's not yet a Georgian an international unless he did play in the last week, which I did not check, which I now realise. Um, but he's been sort of within the Georgian setup. Um, but more importantly, he started each of uh, Valencia's first three La Liga games uh, in August, um, got two clean sheets uh, from those, uh, which funnily enough was as many as he managed in 22 appearances playing for Locomotive Tbilisi last season. Um, it was initially reported as as an academy signing, um, but uh, for it was initially reported by Valencia as an academy signing, which you know goes to show how sort of unexpected and low key this this you know him him coming to the fore has been. Um, but he impressed in preseason training. Um, he did very well against Atromitos in a preseason friendly, and uh, Jose Bordalas, the new manager at Valencia, effectively cast his die from that point. Um, you know, gave him a few more games and and impressed, got those clean sheets, and and um, you know he's he's stayed in the team effectively. Um, and and I know what people might be thinking. Uh, oh, okay. Well, Jasper Sillison must be must be injured. Well, yeah, he was for the first game of the season, but he was then on the bench for the next two as, as Mamadashvili was was kept in. And I think there's a similar element to um, to to the Calvin Ramsey uh, discussion we just had there, where Stephen Glass can't quite um, can't quite drop him now because of you know the, the the form that he's been in. You know, Valencia are rightly so at the at the top of um, quite or quite clear uh, quite near to the top of uh, La Liga at the moment. Um, he's faced uh, 10 shots on target in La Liga over the four games that he's played this season. Um, and he saved eight of them. So that's a pretty good, you know, pretty good start to, to the campaign for, for for a keeper who had not had any prior experience of a top five league. Um, he didn't get a clean sheet in his last game when Valencia beat Osasuna 4-1. Uh, but the team are playing really well. Um, and he's he's a, he's a part of that as as much as you know the the, the other players have, have played a more starring role. But um, obviously it's a, it's a tiny sample size. But you know there are only a handful of, of goalkeepers currently doing better in terms of uh, outperforming his his, his post shot xg, which um, you know he's is obviously a metric which we use to to determine how how likely a goalkeeper is to save a shot. It's obviously similar to to, to expected goals, um, but. The the highlight I think of his of his Valencia career so far, as short as it's been, uh, was, was a fantastic double save, uh, which was about three minutes into injury time on his debut. Um, free kick was was swung in low. Uh, the shot takes a, a bobble through bodies as it as it meets. A, I think it was a Hitafe player, uh, and Mamad Mamadashvili is is already on his knees. So. He's he's dived and then the, the shot takes a deflection, uh, but he swipes a big paw at it uh, to stop it going over him. Which obviously then, because it's not an it's not an optimal position to be making a save when you're sort of scrambling on your knees, uh, it it then falls to another player. Uh, but then he swats it again uh, as as JJ Macias kind of tries to converge on his goal uh, before it eventually gets cleared on the line. Um, but I think that's one that's one hell of a way to sort of endear yourself on your on your debut is maybe there, there were probably a few question marks uh, over oh, well wh- are we are we best off starting this player in goal you know he's he's only twenty years old he's very young um, very inexperienced but he's he's done pretty well so far uh, for for Valencia Lee I don't know if you've seen any of any of him or whether you knew about him beforehand it wouldn't surprise me if you did. But um, it, he, 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 I mean, immediately, I, I kind of, I was looking at sort of uh, the, the players who played the most minutes who were 21 and under uh, in La, La Liga. And he was right at the top. And obviously he's a goalkeeper. It's not a position where you typically take a risk on a player or you can have 
uh, you know, 10 other players can potentially maybe carry them through if they're a bit sort of shaky, like an outfield player. It, it kind of really stuck out to me. And then I, as I delved more into the, the background of it, it just seemed such a such an obtuse, an, an, an obscure, uh, an obscure signing, an obscure decision. Yeah, I, th- I think it was. I mean, his name was out there, but for a club like Valencia, any club really to, to pick a signing from from Georgia in, in the way that they have with this goalkeeper, I'm not going to try and match your pronunciation, Joe, of his surname. I thought you did it so well. I'll just leave you to it. Um, oh, I've been practicing. Don't worry. I've been doing my mouth exercises before recording this. Believe me, because uh, yeah, I, I did one for I did um, a YouTube thing with Steve uh, on on Elish Mariba, and pre prior to that, I was looking at all the different pronunciations. So yeah, I, I, I do my homework. I, I can assure you. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, his name was out there. People were aware of him. People were talking about him. The fact that there was this this goalkeeper in Georgia, but it becomes so difficult from a scouting and recruitment perspective because you, and we're going to talk about a player in a little while who I'll talk about a similar issue with, you really have to gauge the level the player is playing at in terms of the teams that he's playing against when when he's in a, a market like Georgia and decide whether what you're seeing in terms of really strong performance will translate to your club if you were to bring this player in. Um, I think that's possibly partially why Valencia initially took him in, thinking he would be a development project, somebody who would play in their, their younger age groups and then perhaps spend some time on the bench under Sillison before then potentially becoming a first-team player. But I'm similar to you in that goalkeepers are my, my weak spot. I'm very open about the fact that I struggle to analyse and, and scout goalkeepers well. Um, there are some things that I've talked to a few people who know a lot more about goalkeepers than I have to kind of try to to solve that issue, solve that blind spot, if you like. And what really strikes me about this player is his frame. But not only his frame, because he, he is so tall, quite broad, powerfully built, athletic, but he's also explosive with it. I mean, you talked about some of his saves that, that look a little bit unbelievable almost with the way that he's able to cover goal and to, to get across the goals like that. Sometimes when you get a bigger goalkeeper with a big frame, sometimes there's that concern that they'll be a little bit slow getting down to low shots at the corners, for example, because they've got to to manage all that that size, if you like, all, all that mass to get down very quickly and then to be able to get back up again. He is big, but he covers his ground very well. He's very quick to regain his position. Um, I like his starting position. I like how aggressive he is when he comes to claim the ball as well. So certainly I think that Valencia may have stumbled onto something almost not accidentally because they did sign him, but I think they've stumbled onto somebody who can play at this level before even they thought that he could. And that's always interesting to see with a young goalkeeper. It's such a benefit as well, you know. I mean, obviously, you don't want to use the the word accidental because it, obviously it's been a t- it's been a signing where they've had to to hedge their bets and say, you know what, there's some there's something here. Um, but it's such a benefit that you you know you bring him in and then he impresses in preseason and you think, well, actually, you know, the the probably the the, the option or or the the you know the, that we've negotiated here is probably going to be quite favourable to us now that we now that we have him already on loan uh, and him you know playing a, a starring role. But you know to be keeping out, I think it's Rivero that he's keeping out as well, uh, Jaume which is a pronunciation I've not researched, um, and, and and Jasper Sillison. There's, you know, he's, he's doing well there. It's not as though it's a club who did not have a number one before the start of this season. So, 
yeah, he's um, yeah. I, I, I I'd urge anybody to watch uh, Valencia because you will immediately see him because he's so tall and striking. Um, because yeah, they're playing some really good football this season, uh, first and foremost. Um, and it's yeah, it's exciting. Maybe a bit of a, a remontada for a, under under Bordalas. Who'd have thought? Um, but yeah, moving on to moving on to your next player, Lee, uh, and this is the youngest of the bunch. Uh, he is born on and get ready for this. He was born on the 21st of December, 2004. That's basically 2005. You know, the, the, oh, that's, that shouldn't be allowed. That's just incredible. <laughs> I feel sick. Uh, but he's a 16-year-old right winger, uh, currently playing in Brazil with Santos, obviously one of the, the most prestigious clubs, most storied and his, historic clubs in, in Brazil. Um, and uh, he's, been, he's been pretty prominent in Copa Libertadores, even though Santos were eliminated in the group stage. Uh, similarly, in the state championship, which is the Campeonato Paulista. Um, but he, he's, he's 16, which is the thing that I can't get get myself away from. You know, there's in Europe, there's been all this, you know, uh, noise made about Yusufa Makuku, uh, and yet there is somebody who's playing just as, if not more frequently, uh, throughout 2021 uh, at Santos. Yeah, it's crazy. It's An- I'm going to try Angelo Gabriel. Is his name? I think it goes by Han- Angelo. Um, Great name. Great Brazilian name. <laughs> definitely. And I think that any time you start to talk about teenagers making the breakthrough, not only in Brazilian football but at Santos, you start to get that air of expectation almost increased because it's Santos because obviously it, it's Pele, it's Neymar, it's Coutinho and you, you can keep naming names um, I think the word to to describe this player is precocious I mean you, you said he, he's basically born in 2005 and here he is, uh, he's the, the youngest ever goal scorer in the Libertadores, I think that still stands um, he didn't just play the odd minute here and there. He had 389 minutes across eight matches in the Libertadores for Santos. And, and yes, they went out. But for a young player to be trusted to play that match in a continental competition really is noteworthy. Now, what I would say is that he played quite a few minutes in Serie A in Brazil earlier this season as well. His minutes have kind of dropped off a little bit. I don't know if that was to do with a knock, whether he's just been rested a little bit more. Um, potentially the coach is going for more experienced options. I haven't researched it enough to know, but I certainly would expect to see his minutes start to increase markedly again because he has got so much ability. It's it's almost frightening from a 16-year-old. He is a, a right-sided attacker, left-footed, so straight away you know just from that piece of information that he's a, an attacking player who will cut inside on his left foot. Um, he's not a traditional winger, but he does have really quick feet, yeah, really good dribbling ability, carries the ball well, but he carries the ball powerfully. It's not just about, he's not a 16-year-old who is still looking frail and still he has to, to fill out a little bit. He's already got that upper body strength that we're seeing more and more in young players with modern development techniques in terms of sports science, that they're getting players prepared for first-team football against grown men much more quickly than they used to be. If you look back and you look for early footage of Neymar or Rubinho when they were at Santos, it looked like a kid had been plucked from school and put on the pitch in, in between men. He doesn't look like that. He is more powerful, quicker moving with the ball, but he's also got that that feint that you love in Brazilian players, the, the posa, 
that Pep Guardiola talks about with his players with Barcelona, that ability just to slow everything down before you then explode in a different direction. He's already got that um, very direct, very focused when he picks up possession, but he can link with others as well. I think that there's going to be a lot more to come from this player, but the reason that I picked him as one of our players to talk about, obviously nobody really expected a 16-year-old to to be making such an impact at first-team level for a club like Santos, so that for a start. But in this new age of Brexit regulations, obviously the South American market is something that British clubs are going to have to become a lot more aware of. Um, I've checked the, the GBE points calculator that we use for our consultancy at Total Football Analysis, and because this player has already played in Libertadores as often as he has, he already he's already eligible to to move and get a permit to play in Britain at sixteen. That's crazy. That seems that seems so strange compared to how it used to be. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, obviously, I'm I'm used to the fact that players who play in the Libertadores are now or or in the the Sudamericana are now eligible to play in in the UK at a much earlier age at a much earlier stage. Obviously, Moises Caicedo being one of those. That's just, yeah, I, I think anybody who, uh, yeah, obviously I'm not imploring anybody to make the transfer of a 16-year-old <laughs> from Santos who's no. quite clearly got a lot of a lot of development to do. But you have to imagine that, you know, the, the, the scouting and recruitment departments of, of, you know, the vast majority of, of clubs will already have, an, an, will already have Angelo Gabriel on, on their radar because of the, you know, the GBE point system and, and him, you know now being now being eligible it's not one which is is unattainable no and I, I think that's something that clubs are they were almost scrambling a little bit to put things in place to you heard a lot of talk from different people in recruitment over the last six to eight months where they've started to talk about opening up the the markets in south america and becoming aware of the markets you you have some clubs i mean city manchester city obviously have city group so they already have a, a global coverage in terms of their recruitment networks and their knowledge of under-18 players who, who make first-team debuts, for example. They have every player who does so in their markets followed and reported on until they're aware of what the kind of potential looks like. Other clubs now are following suit and they're becoming much more aware of what's happening in South America. Now, at 16, uh, you're right, I wouldn't implore MD to make that signing immediately at 16, but if you do have the ability to perhaps sign a player like this and then maybe send him, leave him alone at Santos for a year, even 18 months, maybe move him to Spain, move him to Belgium to, to get some more game time, this is when club networks and a recruitment perspective really, really come to the fore because you're not going to want to sign this player and immediately have him playing in the Premier League and the Champions League, for example, because pressure is a very real thing when a young player is trying to acclimatise. Don't get me wrong, some players will will do that. They'll come in and they won't look lost at all. Look at Gabriel Jesus when he moved to Manchester City from Flamengo. There was a lot of talk that he would have to go out and loan, but that wasn't the case. But he was also 18 at the time. I think that with Angelo Gabriel, I think it'll be very different for him. I think he needs to still mature. He still needs to, to really be in a position where he's playing the majority of minutes in every game before you look to move him from his current club. But I did want to include him because I think a lot of clubs will have him on their shortlist for monitoring and there will be a lot of eyes watching Santos matches just to watch him play. Yep, absolutely. And um, if anybody wants to hire a scout and pay them 
eight million euros per annum, just like Barcelona did with their <laughs> South American uh, scout, then um, then we're available. Um, you know, uh, screw the podcast. Uh, we'll we'll do that instead. Mind. It's fine. Oh, okay, I'll take the other six. Um, but uh, yeah, you were saying about their sort of maybe acquiring him and then loaning him out to somewhere like Spain, perhaps in a few years when he gets to the point where he could maybe handle European football a little bit better. Um, and I, immediately I was thinking about Cucho Hernandez, uh, who's obviously come in at Watford this season after about four years out on loan. He was at Mallorca, Huesca. Um, there was another club I can't I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, there was a, there was a similar one where they'd I mean, actually yes it was it was Purvis Estupinian uh, at Watford as well uh, they'd obviously used their network well um, to to sign him um, he obviously didn't didn't end up making uh, I think did he play in the championship last season right at the beginning of the campaign yeah he did. I don't know he did yeah he, yeah I feel like I remember him right at the beginning but then Villarreal signed him ridiculous when you think about it how good he was in exactly that league yeah in the championship. Yeah, because I mean, obviously they loaned him out to to Osasuna, didn't they? And he was yeah. fantastic there a couple of years ago. But that's that's the sort of networks that we're talking about um, for for players that perhaps you know they're not going to come into the first team squad at, the, at this moment in time, uh, and that's that's a conscious decision. You know that will be made clear to these players when uh, when they are signed, uh, but with the intention of. Uh, Luis Suarez is another one. He went to Zaragoza, didn't he? Um, sorry, I just it, it came in my head and I had to <laughs> I had to had to word vomit it. Uh, but they, these are the types of, of of transfers, moves, the the, the loans that that would um, make sense, I think, for for a player like that who's already on the scene and already eligible. Um, and this brings me to to my my my, my favorite of of this bunch um and it's it's the fourth fourth player who's who's really come to the fore this season um and it's Muhammad Ali Cho because he's got a fantastic story uh, and I was listening to to our good friends on the road to nowhere football podcast uh Ali Madden and the lads there uh and they were discussing Cho uh, who has started the season brilliantly uh, as sort of a a supporting forward but also a center forward at at, at Angers in Ligue 1 um and you know he played roughly around 500 minutes last season um which means that okay yeah he was within the first team squad but they were spread over approximately 25 appearances meaning that you know there were the these appearances were coming uh, very few and far between in terms of you know minutes on the pitch um so this year he's already had i think it's roughly around 400 minutes in 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 as many in I think it's four or five starts he's made. I think it's five starts that he has made um, in Liga this season. Um, and you know he's 17 years old. Uh, he's I think he's another who's 2004 born, which is again incredible um, that he does not have any memories of Greece winning the European Championships, um, which is the, <laughs> how I remember 2004. Um, but he scored in a two nil win over Rennes just before the international break uh, and in doing so became the first player born in 2004 or afterwards uh, to score in Liga and the youngest scorer in uh, Angers history. Um, so already, you know, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot to, to, to discuss there. Um, but he is first and foremost, an absolutely brilliant dribbler, which already at the age of 17 is, is, you know, it, that's a, that's a bit of a standard. That's something which is going to prick your, prick your interest. Um, but, even more interesting is the fact that he's alongside Sofiane Buffal up front, which for anybody who uh, was who, who you know is is familiar with their their dribbling statistics, um, 
they that you'll know that that is a very very dribbly partnership up front you know that's 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 that's, that's an audacious pairing to say the least um but yeah cho has is is kind of he's he's very much a, a starter now i think it's i mentioned five five starts but um he is the he's ex psg ex everton uh, and there was a good article on him in the athletic uh, about about that uh, about his time at everton um but he's also eligible for four different countries four four imagine being f- eligible for four uh, but yeah, he, he represented England up to under 16 level uh, and then was most recently called up to France's under 21 squad, which is a huge leap. Um, but he also has Moroccan and Ivorian heritage. So, um, you know, he could conceivably, you know, represent one of those countries as well. Um, but yeah, as, as I mentioned, he's a very good ball carrier for his age. Um, you know, w- with Angers, Gerard Baticlays has got them playing some some really vivacious, entertaining football at times. Um, so Cho kind of has a license to roam into the channels from from that central starting position, um, which you know makes him quite fun. Uh, and and that goal that I mentioned against Ren sort of comes from that, uh, where he just he gets on, he spins, he, he goes on the turn, he's he's waiting for that through ball, and he absolutely floors Naif Aguerd, uh, who's a who's a very accomplished central defender, um, and then finishes well with his left at the second attempt after uh, the the keeper's initial save rebounded up to him. But um, you know this. I, th- I think what's important to stress about Muhammad Ali Cho is that he is developing at a club where the spotlight is not is is not blinding. You know, Angers. I mean, if you're watching Angers this season, one of the things that you'll re- recognize is that very much like Stoke City's ground, it doesn't have corners, um, so you can see sort of out outside the stadium um, out while you're watching the games. Uh, and in one of the corners, there's effectively uh, a lumber yard, which is delightfully throwback. Uh, but also, you know, it's it's emblematic of the atmosphere in which he's developing, uh, which will not be sort of suffocating because of the expectation. Um, you know, he's not playing in a team which is full of Galacticos, but he is playing in a team where he's got teammates who are very, very experienced. Um, and, you know, they, they, they're going to facilitate what makes him, what is going to make him be able to shine. Um Obviously, Angers are probably not going to be able to hold on to him for for too long. The you know the the, the financial issues that that have you know plagued French football over the past twelve to eighteen months have, have been well documented with the broadcast disputes and whatnot. So the reality is that they probably will be forced to sell at some point. But for the time being, he's going to get a season of regular football under his belt. I think you know injuries permitting, he will be a thirty-plus game striker uh, that Angers get this year. Um, which at 17 is fantastic. Um, so, you know, th- that's a fantastic environment. Liga itself, the self-styled League of Talents, um, is, again, it's it's a bit more rough and tumble than I think people give it credit for. Um, so he's going to have to, I mean, he already is physically uh, capable of competing at that level, um, but it will only, you know, develop him further in that regard. But yeah, Cho is one which has been on the on the mainstream radar a little bit more uh, given his links to to British football and also the fact that he plays in a in a top five Euro League or maybe not actually top six Euro League because the coefficient changed uh, and Portugal's uh, Primera Liga is now fifth. But um, for the sake of argument, we'll still say it's a top European league. Um, but yeah, Lee, I was wondering whether you'd. I mean, I, I know you've seen some some of Cho this season as we've discussed him, but I mean, what what is it about him that you that you like at all? Is there anything which has been surprising for you? I think the first thing that we need to, to take care of is that you called Cho and Bufal a dribbly pairing. I, I think I'm going to use that term in reports from now on because I think it's great. 
I think that, that I mean, it absolutely is. Buffal was up there with sort of your Alan St. Maximans a couple of seasons ago, wasn't he? When, <laughs> he was, yeah. Who was he at? When, yeah. when he moved to, I think, when he moved to Southampton, first of all, in the back of a, a season when his ball carrying was insane. But yes, yeah, it was. Well, yeah. I think it was very, very good. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think that Cho is a really, really interesting player. What I really like about him is that despite being so young, he's obviously willing to bet on himself. He wasn't content to stay within the academy system in England where he possibly makes some money doing that. Um, instead, you know, take a risk on himself and, and move out of his comfort zone a little bit. And perhaps that comes from having a, a multicultural background where he has got a little bit different, you know, it's not just almost normal upbringing as you see in, in terms of academy football these days where where it's almost middle class because of the expectations in terms of financing and things like that at some clubs. So for him to, to move to, to France, obviously, and have such an impact this season in Liga, I think you're right. He's dynamic. He's explosive. He's quick. He's got great feet when he receives the ball. He's fearless. We talked about that with Calvin Ramsey, about having this belief in yourself to not be timid and, and not be standoffish and, and be almost aggressive and in the face of people when you're playing against them. He's the same because Nelson, Nelson Aguard, who you talked about with Wren, is a very, very good centre defender. But he struggled to contain Cho in that match. He couldn't he couldn't guess which way Cho was going to travel with the ball because he's got that ability to attack you down the right, down the left. He can hold the ball up. He can spin you. He can play little one-twos and then make a run off of the defender. He's got all of these these assets in his game already at such a young age. I think that Anger is a very interesting place for him to develop because the pressure is much lower than he'd get elsewhere. But already you're seeing him make steps that clubs up and down the food chain. And I, I still can't get my head around talking about Portugal as one of the top five European leagues. I'm afraid that the coefficients just scrambled my head a little bit. But there's no doubt that there are clubs throughout Europe who are taking a very close look at show at the moment. And I wouldn't be surprised to see interest as soon as January and getting his, his signature sealed. Okay, so we move from Cho to a player whose surname rhymes with Cho, uh, but does not play in a, a top five EuroLeague or top six or top seven. He actually plays in uh, Tunisia, which is absolutely without doubt, definitely the first player we've discussed on the podcast who plays in Tunisia. Uh, so kudos to Lee for this one, because, I mean, I had no idea who this player was. Uh, Jean-Cédric Gbo, uh, G-B-O is, is how you spell his surname, uh, plays for Esperance Tunis. Uh, he's 19 years old and he's a defensive midfielder. Uh, and besides the 15 minutes that I Y-scouted him uh, once Lee gave me his name, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> uh He's a very interesting player. Um, plays primarily for Esperance. And first of all, we should take care of the fact that for people that don't know, Esperance are, are one of the biggest teams in Tunisia. Um, famous name. They, they're also relatively strong in terms of continental competition in Africa as well. So so a club with where expectations from a, a large fan base tend to be very high. And that's why making the impact that he has made Esperance is so impressive for me he's actually Ivorian um, there's very little information out there that's that's easily accessible about how he came to be in Tunisia from the Ivory Coast but he joined Esperance in their youth teams initially before making his breakthrough first team level in 2020 but this season we've really seen him kick on and he started to impress um, 
it came up for me initially in one of the data searches that I do as part of our consultancy of total football analysis, just to stay on top of what's happening around football around globe, um, making sure that I'm up on young players who are getting significant minutes. And Gabo was one of those players, and you you watched him yourself. We were talking before recording that part of the challenge of, of watching matches in Tunisia, for example, is that there are some creative camera angles that you have to battle with a little bit. Um, don't be surprised if you do watch the player to to see the camera just stay on the goalkeeper or on the left back when the balls have left their feet quite some time ago. The, the cameraman just must have been distracted by something going on around him and, and hasn't bothered to track the ball. But once you do, well, see I've, I've people... got no issue with that if it stays on ball because <laughs> you know then we get to see more of him, don't we? <laughs> exactly. Um, he's very much a six. He likes to drop deep, really control the game from deeper positions. Um, don't expect to see a lot in terms of pure attacking output. He can carry the ball and move past players, but that tends to be out of necessity rather than him looking to drive forward in possession. He's very much a player instead who will look to drop deeper, likes to split the centre-halves, for example, and receive the ball in deep areas before then turning and playing that first progressive ball that moves his team either into the middle third or slightly longer range passing into the final third. He's got really good technique when you see him. He's a very clean striker of the ball. And in some pitches in Tunisia, the ball can bounce. It can be a little bit rough to play on. So you see him adjust his feet, for example, when when having to take on passes that might be bouncing up at odd angles or odd speeds to him. He adjusts very quickly and still controls his passes when he plays the ball. Um, he's a player who... I think is ripe at the moment for a move to European football. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that Belgian clubs or French clubs, for example, who tend to scout North America very effectively, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that they're already interested in Gabo and they're already aware of him and that there is a move in the offing. Um, it will come sooner rather than later. At the time of recording, I think he's only played one match in the, the CAF Champions League. Um, but when that competition comes around again, I would expect him to get more significant exposure to it then, um, purely as a result of that, that even at 19 years old, he's he's already become a key player for Esperance for me in terms of the way that he controls everything in that build-up phase. He's he's a player that his more experienced teammates look to. They, they look to find him early and, and have him be the one who'll take responsibility again. That's that word, responsibility for a young player to then progress his team forward. Um, he is strong. I think he stands 182 centimetres. He's listed on transfer market, which depending on how, how you cut the conversion, that is around the six foot mark. Um, is quite physically powerful as well, but he's not a player who will look to leverage that necessarily. Instead, he's got really good timing in the challenge. So he doesn't have to use his power. Instead, he'll just be positioned well and he'll be there just to, to nick the ball away from opposition attackers. And as soon as he does, he's really good in the, the counter game. He can play quickly in transition, release wide players quickly with that range of passing that he's got from central positions. I, I think he's a really interesting player. He's one of these players within Africa who sometimes come through that have been missed for whatever reason at some of the bigger African academies that obviously European clubs have, have great interest in and track. Sometimes players come through different 
different pathways that are slightly less conventional, but sometimes that makes them the better for it because they've had a more rounded experience and perhaps a more difficult path to get to where they are. But in 19 now, I think that there will be clubs within Europe that are looking closely at this player. I would be uh, interested to find out how he did end up at, at, at Esperance Tunis from, yeah. you know, given that he's Ivorian. I, I mean, I, I know that there's not accessible information on that at the moment, but hopefully in the future we'll be able to find that out. Um, and, you know, from the very limited viewing that I did do of him, he did seem as though the type of player who's who's already very good at, at breaking it up, you know, kind of you can give the ball to him uh, and it'll sort of be a reset button uh, on, on whether a move has been built by the opposition or a move has broken down. Uh, or has been blocked for your own team. Um, and one thing I did think that that happened quite often was he's quite good at hitting the channels, particularly that, that left-hand channel, um, you know, with a little, maybe a little bit of a lofted ball, not quite a sort of a, a switch of play, but just a little clip into that that channel down there. So that's something to um, to, to say that he's quite, he's quite good at as well. Um, but the the final question for this podcast and the final question for this, for this player uh, that I've got to ask you, Lee, is, is where do you think his ceiling lies? Because Africa tends to be a bit of a closed off market for a lot of European teams. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't work in recruitment circles, but I, I, I think, you know, it, 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 it's a bit more of a risk if you don't already have partner clubs uh, and, you know, satellite academies in, in certain African countries to, to pluck your players from, like a Nordzuland with Right to Dream, well, like Right to Dream with Nordzuland, sorry, or like um, uh, FC Red Bull Salzburg, the, the Red Bull model and how they, you know, trust a lot of s- uh, certain clubs in, in se- separate countries. I'm thinking sort of the likes of Kafway Celtics in Zambia um, or, or, you know, the, the Generation Foot and, and Diamba academies in Senegal. Um, it apart from that, it does tend to be a bit of a closed off market. Where where do you think his ceiling lies as a result of that then? Because, you know, I suppose for, for a player of his quality to be able to show himself, he needs a club to take a, a calculated risk on him in a sense, because, you know, the, obviously the intensity is different. The tactical um, expectations will be different uh, if and when he comes to Europe. You know, if say for example you were recommending him to a to a club at the moment or a, or a, a group of clubs, what level would you would you recommend him to? I think that's a million dollar question. We talked a little bit earlier on about the, the difficulty of scouting in a market like Georgia, because you're never sure of of what you're seeing. You're seeing because the player is extremely good, or if the level is lower middling, and maybe the player would only be average if you take him out of that market and put him somewhere else. It can be the same in Africa, but that can be mitigated slightly. I mean, there are some clubs within Africa where players will move to from Europe. You see Scandinavia, for example. Um, Sweden is always a market that are looking to take in players from the African continent. And they tend to be either technical defenders or wide attacking players who are explosive. Um they'll look for a certain type of player, they'll take them in and hope that translates, but they do so because the initial outlay on the players that they're taking in, because they're not taking them from the traditionally big African clubs, the transfer outlay and the the value is less and they'd have to play otherwise for a similar player from Europe. So it kind of mitigates the risk a little bit. I think in Gabo's case, Esperance are are one of the, the bigger African clubs and they're not a club who struggle financially as much as some others will so he will not necessarily come out for 
five figure sum for example you're going to have to pay at least six figures to get him from Africa at the moment from Tunisia and that changes his picture a little bit I think that if I was a club if I was recommended him to a player a club right now as a this player could come into your first team immediately I would be targeting him at League 2 in France I would be targeting him at mid table probably mid table top flight Belgium probably lower top flight in Holland and those would be the kind of areas unless you are going to find a club in Sweden like a Malmo who who have the the ability to make a transfer like that and accept the risk if you like in the valuation in terms of his ceiling I think that he has the ability to play in a top five European league um perhaps not I'm not talking top top level I, I haven't seen enough of him yet I haven't tracked him enough to be able to say with certainty that I'm looking at a Champions League level player, but certainly he's a player who could have a career in Liga, for example, for a long time. He's a player who I could see in a, a lower level Serie A club, for example, because he's already got that tactical discipline that, that they look for in young players and they'll like his physicality, his ability to recycle the ball and to play the ball forward. So I think a bit of a roundabout way of saying that I'm not entirely sure what his ceiling is, but I think his next move will be very instructive and, and allow us to see a lot more. No, I think you gave us a pretty, you know, a, a few good options there, which were kind of on the, the level that I maybe expected. Um, but yeah, it's always good to hear it from, from your viewpoint. And the point that you said about Esperance Tunis perhaps not being as, you know, financially constrained as other clubs or, you know, uh, you know lesser teams in, in, in Africa. Um, that, that I think that speaks to the fact that they've given him a contract until 2025, which is common practice among uh, mid-level European clubs who want to hold on to their best assets and, you know, they want to command the best fees they can get because they have the players tied down for an extended period. And um, look, just looking through Esperance's uh, squad list, uh, there are a few others. Uh, I think there's one other Ivorian, maybe one or two, uh, who are around the sort of the 18 to 21 range, who also have contracts until 2025. So um, yeah, it would um, it would take some money to prize him away, but um, yeah, I think uh, based on Lee's assessment, um, then yeah, he could uh, could be seen in Europe perhaps in in uh, the seasons to come but um, that's all from us on uh, the Scouted Football Podcast this week Uh, back with a bit of a bumper episode after a couple of weeks hiatus Um, but yeah we'll be back in the next couple of weeks as well uh, with a succession of episodes uh, a couple of club focused ones um, and a couple of nation focused ones as well that we've got in the works as well as some league focused uh, that I've just jogged my memory with as well but um, thank you for tuning in Uh, please leave us uh, some feedback please tweet us uh, on uh, on scouted football or, or on our personal accounts uh, let us know what you thought of the episode let us know if you've come across the players before uh, and uh, yeah stay safe take care bye for now